Well, good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's exciting to see baptism. I'm, I'm so excited uh, for Landon, for Scott and Keisha. As I'm sure they're just so happy that, that the Lord has gripped their son um, and that he desires to be identified with him, that he desires to be a part of the covenant community of Jesus Christ, and at the same time that God has chosen to know him. I mean, I, we have three children, and we pray fervently, and we wait and hope with expectation for um, the time when they, they come to the, the full knowledge of the gospel and they believe into Jesus Christ. Um, such an exciting thing. It's, 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 it's great to be able to see things like baptism or also this morning and and it's sort of by way of announcement, we had Grace Connection class, which is designed to help you get to know more about grace and, and the first step in becoming a covenant member of Grace Community Church. And we had families back there, and, and it'll continue for the next three weeks. And so if you want to be a part of that, please do um, be a part of that. It meets at 9 o'clock, so right before the service in the youth room in the back of the church. It's a great opportunity for you to join into what's, what's happening here at Grace. It's great to see baptism. It's great to see conversion. It's great to see new members because we know that the gospel is taking root and growing. Um, it's gospel growth, and we talk about it like that because that's what it is. It's, it's growth. And so when you talk about the fact that, 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 that there's growth happening in the church, when you talk about gospel growth, it has to have origins. When, when a, plant, if a plant doesn't just grow, things have to happen first. It has to be planted. Seeds have to be sown. And so as we come to this portion of text, we're talking about the parables of Jesus. And, and there, there are three parables that, that Mark gives here. We're only going to talk about one of them, the first parable that Mark gives us. Mark spends a lot less time sharing the parables of Jesus than any of the other Gospels. But he does share them, and they're important to know. They're important to understand the parables. But the parable that we're going to be talking about is the parable of the sower. And so there's seed cast out. And that seed, some of it takes root and grows. And baptism is a chance to see that. It's a chance to see seed that has taken root and is growing. And so I love it. I love that we're going to be here uh, in Mark chapter 4, that we're going to be spending time talking about the parables of the kingdom. Uh, it, it's great. And, 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 and so if you would, join with me in, in praying uh, as, we, as we prepare our hearts to, to receive God's word. You're so good to us, Jesus. You're so good to us. Even when we were your enemies, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when our hearts were away from you, when we were, as your word has pronounced us, completely and utterly unrighteous, unholy, there's nothing good in us. Even then, you loved us. And Jesus came to this earth for us. He lived to satisfy the law. He died to satisfy your wrath. We're so thankful that we are His. And so now as we hear the words of Jesus again, 
as we look back on the words that our Savior said so many years ago, so, so many centuries, millennia ago. Pray that your Spirit would open our ears and our eyes to hear and to see the gospel. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Uh, this is where we're going to continue in our series in Mark, and we're going to read verses 1 through 23. And so if you would, as is our custom, please stand as we read the Word of God together. And we ought to be happy. We ought to be thankful for the Word of God. We ought to be grateful that God has decided not only to create us, but to reveal Himself to us, to give us His Word, to show us the things that we need to know for life and salvation. Um, He's given us Jesus, and Jesus is revealed in Scripture. And so we ought to be grateful for Scripture. And so after we're done reading, I'm, I'm going to do something that we've done in the past and that the church used to do all the time. When, when we're done reading, I'm going to say, this is the Word of God. And, and if you would, respond with gratitude and say, thanks be to God. Okay? And so here we are in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat it in it. On the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teachings he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to him, and he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but... Endure for a while, then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, 
Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of God. All right, you may be seated. So we come to the kingdom parables. And parables are an interesting genre. They're an interesting uh, genre of literature that, that Jesus uses. They're figures of speech that Jesus uses. But parables are not exclusive to Jesus. And so parables, parables have been spoken before. Jesus was not the first person to use parables as a means of explaining something. However, Jesus was the first person to use parables like this. And maybe it's not quite what you think or expected. I was, in, I was at a conference for, for pastors some time back, and, and there was a very uh, prominent pastor of a very large large mega church um, and and a church that I'm very thankful for. Um, people are going there. They're hearing that Jesus died for them. They're being saved. Um, one critique that some might have of the church, and listen, God has has been convicting me a lot lately of the lack of grace that I can sometimes display towards those outside of my immediate tribe. It's pride, it's it's arrogance. And and he's he's humbling me. And I need to be humbled. Um and so 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 when I say this, uh, I, I want you to hear that I'm very thankful for this pastor and for this church and the fact that people are being saved. But one thing that you hear a lot about them is that they, they, they don't go deep into the word. They don't go deep. They don't plumb the, the riches, the depths of the word of God. And so a lot of it is very surface level. And, and so people are being saved, but they're not going deep into the word. And, and so that was brought up and he addressed it. And, and here was his explanation. He said um, that Jesus, when he taught, didn't speak in deep theological terms. Instead, he spoke in language and, and about things that the people understood, namely like parables, um, because people understand it. Um, and, and so he, he's simply being faithful because that's the best way to reach the lost. Right, and so I, I love the heart, and and I I agree that we need to preach Jesus and we need to be like Jesus to reach the lost. But what becomes interesting in 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 Scripture and in Acts, especially, is that Peter and Paul both preach using a lot of theological language, and they see many more conversions. They see a ton of conversions. And then on top of that, as we're going to see here, Jesus explains why he uses parables. Like I said before, it might not be what you think. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at why Jesus says he uses parables. 
We're going to unpack that a little bit. And then we're going to look at this parable in particular. And my hope and my, my prayer is that you, along with me, will be moved, that we'll see Jesus, that we'll love him and we'll savor him because he is worth all of our love and he's worth all of our worship. And so we're going to look at verses uh, 10 through 12 very quickly, and then we're going to move on to the parable itself. All right, so Jesus now begins. He tells this parable about the sower, and he casts seed, and, and it's on the different uh, terrain. One's on a path, one's on rocky ground, one's, one's on thorny ground, one's on good soil. And after he finishes, he says, whoever can hear and see, let them hear and see. And then there comes a point in time where he's alone except with the 12 disciples and whoever else may have been with him. So what you need to understand now is that this is not the entire large crowd that's with Jesus. This is the smaller group of disciples. This is, this is in some ways, the inner circle. This is, these are the people who believe. We've talked about this before. We talked about it a few weeks ago, how the crowds are there and the crowds want to see a show and the crowds want to see this Thing that's happening. No one's ever seen anything like what Jesus has done before. No one ever will. And so they want to see it. They want to go. And they're experiencing it, but they're not devoted to Jesus. They don't understand what it means to be a disciple. He hasn't called them. But then there are the twelve. They're the faithful. They're those who believe and they're moving in faith. They don't want to just be a part of the crowd. They're not satisfied to be in the back of the, the amphitheater. They're not satisfied to just merely be in the stadium to hear Jesus preach. They want to know and touch and, and be known by Jesus. And so again, we have this, th- this juxtaposition of the crowd. They hear the general parable, but then there are those who are with Jesus and they want more. They're asking him questions. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now that word secret, it's Greek, the Greek word mysterion. It means mystery, secret, things that were covered and have since been uncovered. Paul talks about it a lot. The, the mystery of the gospel that was concealed before Christ but now has been revealed by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to think that what we're talking about is some secret knowledge that God only gives certain people. Look, if someone teaches to you and says, look, this is secret knowledge that you can't get from Scripture that no one else has ever seen, be, be wary of them. Right? This is not secret like that. This is secret in that God chose in His sovereign love and His divine providence to conceal these things until the time was right, namely, until Jesus had come. These truths about the kingdom. And even when Jesus is there, they're concealed. How many times have we seen Jesus go and heal, remove demons? Or, or Jesus is teaching and demons are saying, you're, you're the son of God. You're the son of God. And what does he do? He rebukes them. Not for being demons, <laughs> but for telling this thing that is secret. No, silence. 
They're speaking the truth. But it's not his timing. So when we say secret, when we say mystery, that's what we're saying. Is the truths of God that have been revealed now by the Holy Spirit and that we see in full context. Why? Because Jesus has come, he's died, and he's risen again. So now the mysteries of the scripture are unlocked. And we have, we have that key. We have that Rosetta Stone, right? Jesus. Now things come together. That's the secret. And so Jesus says, to you, my disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Why? So that they may see but not perceive. They may hear but not understand. And this one, this last, I mean, he's quoting from Isaiah. This is the hardest one for me. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. So what's Jesus saying about parables? Why does Jesus speak in parables? I want want to give you four reasons. And it's really five, but but it's four. And, And I'll repeat them. They're not on the screen. I apologize for that. But the first reason that Jesus speaks in parables is to reveal the truth of the kingdom to believers. Jesus wants you to know who he is. The most important knowledge that you will ever have is the knowledge of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so he spoke in parables so that those who belong to him, so those who were believers could hear the truth, see it, perceive it, understand it, believe it, and walk in it. He wanted to reveal the truth, but also... Jesus spoke in parables to conceal the truth of the kingdom from those whose hearts were hardened. See, now, and this is where everything that that we've been talking about earlier comes into play, is this, that if you don't have faith, it doesn't matter how cleverly I can break something down, it doesn't matter how well I relate it to you, you will not hear. It will be foolishness. And even that statement, and so some of you in here may not be believers, and even that statement to you may seem ridiculous because what you're, what, what you're saying is what I'm saying. Let's try that again. In your heads, what I'm saying is this. In order to understand and believe what I'm saying, you have to have faith. So you have to believe in order to understand, right? And that's illogical because we ought to understand in order to believe. So what you're saying is circular. You have to have faith in order to have faith. And what I'm saying is exactly that. (laughs) That's exactly it. If you don't have faith, you're not going to hear what Jesus says. And so some of us, myself included, we've had these experiences where we've sat in church and we've heard the gospel preached over and over again and our hearts were hard. 
uh, Matt Chandler, pastor in Texas, uh, when he shares his testimony, it's, it's one of my favorite things to hear, partially because he's so funny and partially because of the nature of his testimony. He played football in high school, um, and one, his first day in the locker room, one of his teammates come up to, came up to him and said, we're going to talk about Jesus, when do you want to do it, <laughs> right? Like, that was, his, that was his evangelism approach, is this is going to happen, you pick the day, <laughs> you know? And, and at the time, Chandler was very hard to the gospel. Uh, he was an agnostic, maybe even an atheist. He thought religion was ridiculous. And he's like, but okay, he, but he admired this, this man's, you know, his approach. You know, there's, there's no <laughs> tracked with a dollar bill on one side and, surprise, it's the gospel. You know, like, it was very much, this is how it's going down, you tell me when. Um, and so they got together and they talked and shared the gospel. Matt Chandler didn't believe it. He said, but I'll go to church with you and I'll, I'll share with you as we go to church all the things that I don't believe. And so we went to church the first time and he came back and listed off, these are all the things that are just ridiculous. These are ridiculous. All right? And so he's like, but I'll keep going with you, right? And so he kept going and, and listening off all these things. And he's like, you know, I didn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it, but I kept going. Why? Because God was working on him. And so he kept going to church, and he said there was no convincing argument for him. There was no, this was the one that set it down. He just said he was in church one day, and he realized, like, I just believe this. I just believe, God just saved him. And that's how it is. God just saves us. Some of you may remember that point where God just saved you. Or maybe you were a believer already, and God just opened your eyes one day. <laughs> oh, no, this all makes sense. I see it. One day, Jesus just became immensely beautiful to you. One day, the scriptures just, they opened up, and you, you, you consumed them. You got it. If you've had that experience, you know exactly what happened. Did you understand enough? No. Day, grace through faith opened your eyes, believed, and you saw. That's what I'm saying. That's how it works. Look, if, if your heart is hard to this, it doesn't matter how we say it, you won't hear. And here's the other amazing thing is that if God is working on you, it doesn't matter how much I fumble through a sermon or, or Brad. There are times when Brad and I will talk and, and I'll say something like, I don't think they're ever going to let me do that again. You know? <laughs> it's like, you're probably right. But then people come and they say, oh, God moved in, all, in, in this way, in this way. And, and, and it's great because I'm forced to be humble and reminded that it's the Spirit of God that moves. And when, so when the Spirit of God is, is moving in someone, and so this, this is encouragement for you. Go preach the gospel. Stumble through it if you have to. Walk away thinking, I'm, I may as well have been, <laughs> I, I may as well have just been talking in another language, you know? Uh, and, and, and see if the Spirit of God isn't just moving because it's not about you. It's about Him, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. As I preach in parables, not to make this easier for anyone, but so that as the Spirit reveals it to my followers, they'll understand. And as the hearts of those who do not believe are continually hardened, they, they won't. So, Jesus spoke in parables in order to reveal the truth of the kingdom to believers, to conceal the truth of the kingdom from unbelievers, and then to teach about the person and work of Jesus Christ, 
of himself. His, himself. He taught himself, all right? And so this is helpful when you're approaching parables because, yes, there is going to be application for you, but parables, just like the rest of Scripture, what we want to see and what we want to remember is that if Jesus is not the hero of the story, if Jesus is not the ultimate actor in the story, then, then while you may have some good insight, you need to go back, dig deeper, find Jesus. He's there. It's about him. Jesus preached about the kingdom more than anything. In fact, in all the Gospels, Jesus only mentions the church twice. Same one, Matthew 16, 18. But he talked about the kingdom a lot. Why? Because he's the king, and he's bringing the kingdom. Right? Jesus taught about himself, about who he was, about what he was doing. However, number four, Jesus spoke in parables and taught in order to teach about the nature and future of the kingdom and his citizens. First and foremost, it's about Jesus, but it's also about you. Jesus wants you to know how to live. Jesus wants you to, to believe in him. Jesus wants you to know what the world is like and how to interact in it as his people. Jesus wants you to believe. We have to hold these things in tension. Because they're true. And so Jesus teaches and he says the kingdom of God is like this. Right? Then he says something, and we learn about the nature of the kingdom of God. It starts small, it's hidden, but then it becomes the biggest plant. It becomes the biggest tree. It's deeply rooted in you, but then it grows. It overflows. It outpours. It's here already, but not yet. It's, it's breaking in, and yet it's here. The kingdom of God is among you. Right? All these things, we hold together in tension, but all these things, Jesus wants us to know. Why? So we can live now as citizens of the kingdom, doing the things that he's called us to. The kingdom is like this. So here and now, be citizens of the kingdom. Proclaim the kingdom. Do the work of the king as we anticipate the coming of the king. And so those are the four things. However, all of it is so that God will receive glory. All of it. God is jealous for glory, and he's right to be. And he'll get it as people see, as people believe. As people turn to Jesus, even when they don't. So Jesus uses the term outside, saw that, to those who are outside, to create really two categories for all people. There's one group who senses the redemptive work of God, the work of the kingdom, present and active in the world. There's another group that, that doesn't. There's, there's one group which consumes the word and presence of Jesus, 
There's another group that merely sees and hears. To one group, the word of God is wisdom from heaven. It's manna from heaven. To the other, it's foolishness. And again, the primary factors distinguishing between the two are grace and faith. Believe and see the wonder of Jesus. So with that in mind, let's, let's look at this parable. Because after Jesus says this, he explains the parable. And what's so interesting to me is that Jesus says, look, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of them. Why does he say that? It's because ultimately this parable is it. This parable is leading to all the other parables. It's the starting point for those who understand Jesus, for understanding Jesus and what he's doing. The seed is the gospel of the kingdom. The seed is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that the king has come. It's the good news that God has made a way for you to be right with him, that, that in spite of your shortcomings, your, your doubt, your insecurity, your idolatry, whatever it is, in spite of all that, God loves you. And he sent Jesus to be everything you know you're supposed to be. But that you haven't been. That you can't be. And at the same time, Jesus came to die. So he was obedient, he was faithful, he was humble, he was kind, he was compassionate. He loved the poor. He loved his father. He cared for the people around him. He was long-suffering. He was angry at the right thing. He kept the law perfectly, and nonetheless, he died. He got our condemnation. We got his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel, it's the power of salvation for all who believe. It's the seed. The gospel, first, it's, a, it's, it's something to be proclaimed. It's good news to be proclaimed, and Jesus is proclaiming it. And then as we proclaim it in word, we also proclaim it in deed. But nonetheless, we're proclaiming that Jesus saves sinners. It's it's the gospel. And, and Jesus, he comes to sow it. So the gospel is the seed, but Jesus ultimately is the sower. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He came to sow the seed. The sower sows the seed. But, now, now listen to this. This is from the second Helvetic Confession. Uh, it's the first chapter of it. Um, it says this, that the word of God preached is the word of God. In other words... When Brad or, or David or I preach from the scriptures and when we do it rightly, that is gospel proclamation from Jesus himself. When you share the gospel with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends and your family, when you give to those in need, when you meet the needs of others, all the while proclaiming this is because of the king and the kingdom coming, you are giving to them in the name of Jesus. You are proclaiming the gospel to them in the name of Jesus. That is Jesus proclaiming the gospel to them. Now, 
Now you need to know this so that you'll be encouraged. Because when you are, even when you are, when we are sowers, lowercase s sowers, Jesus is still the sower. So when you preach the gospel and people despise you, it's not you they despise, it's Jesus. When you preach the gospel and they reject it, it's not you they're rejecting, it's Jesus. When they preach the gospel and they believe, it's not you they're believing in, it's Jesus. When they're convinced, it's not the greatness of your argument, it's the power of the Spirit and the greatness of Jesus. So, be free to proclaim the gospel, remembering what we've already mentioned, that it's, it's not about you, it's not about how well you parse the truth or how compelling or relatable you make it, it's not about any of that, it's about Jesus moving in their lives, it's about the state of their heart and the grace and the sovereign will of God, so, so we send out the seed and we sow with the great sower the word of truth in faith that God will save sinners. And so Jesus the sower and we the little sowers were scattering the seed. And it falls on these different terrains. The word of truth goes out and, and it falls on first the path. And, and, and what does Jesus say happened to it? Let's look again. Satan comes immediately and takes it away. That's what Jesus says. That the birds that come and pluck it up, the seed that falls on the path, that Satan comes immediately and takes it away. Immediately. Look. There are spiritual forces at work. And while I dare say that most of us in this room would never deny the spiritual realm with our language, I mean, most of us um, would say, yeah, there's, there's, there's angels and demons and there's spiritual forces. Um, do, how do we live? Do we, do we really believe that there are forces of evil working against us? Do we really believe that when we preach and share the gospel or when we receive the word preach that Satan is working against us, trying to snatch up the seed that is the word of truth? Do we believe that? You may say yes, but let me give you a little test of how much you believe this. Um, This morning before you came, did you spend any time in prayer asking God, pleading with God to open your hearts to the gospel? Asking him, begging him to bind Satan so that the word of truth might take root in your heart, so that it might take root in the hearts of those around you. When you send your kids back to to Sunday school, yes, we've got great teachers, but are you praying that God will bind Satan so that our children will believe the gospel? What do you really believe? Do you really believe Satan is working against you, that the enemy is working against you when you share the gospel with people. And I'm, I'm going to get when you share the gospel with people. Are you praying ceaselessly for God to remove hindrances to the gospel so that they might hear and believe? Are you praying? Again, if you're not praying, then regardless of the language that we use, and, and look, I'll, I'll tell you, prayer is something that I've been working on. It's so hard. It's such a hard discipline for me. Some of you, man, that's your gift, like above and beyond just the fact that we're called to pray. Like some of you are just warriors. You pray. You, you're like 
<laughs> you're lifting up the hands of those who are preaching. You're holding up their hands while the battle is on. You, you pray, and that's not where you struggle, and that is amazing, and I love that. Um, but for me, for, for many of us, prayer is something we have to fight, fight to do. And, and uh, again, it's been recommended many times. The book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, was so huge for me. So huge. But when we don't pray, what we're saying with our deeds is that we got this. When you pray, what you're doing is you're pleading with God and you're saying, in and of myself, I can't. But with you, all things are possible. So Spirit of God, move. That is powerful. Now, Satan doesn't immediately snatch up the word. Look, he's got two basic strategies. One is immediately, and the other is eventually. All right? So he's either, he either wants to do it immediately, or he wants to do it eventually. If Satan doesn't immediately snatch up the word, the seed, he, he wants to do it eventually, and he does it through two methods, is what Jesus said. So these are the next two terrains. The first is tribulation, and the second is prosperity. Faith. Saving faith is faith that perseveres to the end. Saving faith is always deeply rooted in Jesus. I need to hear that. We need to hear that. Saving faith that perseveres to the end is deeply rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we will either wither with tribulation or be choked out by prosperity. I... I value and and do not want to understate the importance of spiritual affections of excitement we ought to be excited about how god is moving our hearts are to be stirred with love towards god with love towards jesus with love towards our neighbors with love towards our enemies we ought to love people we ought to be marked by love and that love ought to give us energy and excitement and we ought to be passionate about going, and certainly many of you have stories where when you first believed Jesus, you were so full of passion, you were so ready to, as it were, do you remember this one, charge hell with a water pistol, right? Like you were ready to go. Then over time, for whatever reasons, but a lot of times, not seeing all of the expectations maybe that you had come to fruition, Maybe hardship. And that excitement waned. Um, or maybe the honeymoon was just over. This is life. You start dating someone, and at first it's great. And then it's, uh, you get married. Married life is awesome. And then it's hard. And, you know, it's, it's not all roses and dates. And then you have kids, and it's never really roses or dates. <laughs> You know, your romance can't sustain another dirty diaper. <laughs> it comes. And if it's the energy and it's the vigor and the passion that's sustaining your marriage, it's, it's going to crumble. If it's your energy and your passion and your vigor 
that is sustaining your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you feel like the way that I know that I am a child of God is that I have deep spiritual emotion, which emotions and affections are good things. God is redeeming our affections. I don't want to understate that. But there will come points when you're just not excited about the faith. And if you have wrapped up your identity as a believer in Jesus in your emotions, that is going to be a very difficult time. Um, Melissa had a very good friend that I became very good friends with, and around the same time in college, we had that hit. Uh, Christianity had been this very emotional thing for us, and it was good. And we, uh, I, there were times where you'd pray, and I, I just felt the presence of the Spirit. I don't know how to explain it, and things were good. And I was sharing the gospel with people, and they were getting saved, and it was amazing. And we were so excited, and then we were talking, and one day we just weren't. And the question we were asking each other is, well, what's wrong? Do we really be- believe? Do we, do we still have it? Whatever it is. And so then, you know, we began to read depressing existentialist philosophers. And I don't know. Um, (laughs) But long story short is I had enough friends that Jesus used to remind me that if it's your emotion, then it's not a gift of grace. And it's not faith. Faith endures when the emotions are low. Faith endures when the health is not there. Faith endures when the accounts are empty. Faith endures when you're laid off. Faith endures when that person who you believed was the most spiritual person you would ever meet in your life proves to be a sinner just like you. Faith endures when your spouse cheats. Faith endures because it's not rooted in those things. It's deeply rooted in Jesus. And I don't think it's possible to underestimate the importance of sound doctrine, but let me say this. If you can restate with clarity and even with a sense of just being that intelligent, if you can restate all the difficult tenets of the faith, but those tenets don't lead you into a deep relationship, a deeply rootedness in Jesus. Same thing, when trials and tribulations come, your ability to unpack eschatology is not going to do much for you because it's still there about you and your ability to know, and your ability to know everything. We're not going to go know everything. The early church, the church loves mystery. Mystery is a good thing. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's better to be in the arms of Jesus than in that moment to be right. And so when they come, you'll be uprooted. And and, in all of these things, you'll look a little bit like the, the man that Jesus spoke of, the foolish man who built his house on the sands. Remember in Matthew 7, there's a house on the rock that's Jesus. There's a house on sand. And look, by the, there's no description saying that one house was better than the other. They, by all accounts, they may have looked exactly the same. The house on the sand may even have looked better. Your spiritual house may look like it's in order. You may be... 
to the outside eye, you may have everything going, but if you're not rooted in Jesus, then you've just built yourself up on the sands of self-righteousness or puffed up knowledge. This is something that I have to preach to myself every day, right? I'm, I'm not built on the sands of my own ability to comprehend the scriptures. I, am, I have to be built on the bedrock that is Jesus. And with that will come humility. So your house may look great. You may tell all the right things, but if you're not deeply rooted in the gospel, when that storm comes, when trials and tribulation and ultimately judgment comes, your house is going to fall. Its fall will be great is what Jesus says. So the rocky ground, the tribulation, but also the thorny ground. And look, if God doesn't use tribulation, and for us, a lot of times he's not. A lot of times it's going to be the other thing. It's going to be prosperity, the, the seed that fell in the thorns. But, I mean, listen to how Jesus describes it. It fell in the thorns and was choked out. And so those are the ones who... the. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of the world, and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it typically does it in two ways. There are more, but these are just the two that I'll give you, the two um, that, that I've read and seen most exhibited. And the first is that you'll become so complacent that you forget that you need Jesus for everything. And the other is that you will come to love the riches and the things of the world so much that like the rich young ruler, when Jesus says, give it away for the sake of the kingdom, you won't be able to because you love it more than him. Prosperity and tribulation alike, while they're not in and of themselves, bad things. Well, prosperity is it. It can be. And it can choke out the seed of the word in your life. And so faith perseveres to the end. And that's what the good soil is. It's the soil that is rich and ready to receive the seed that is sown by whoever proclaims it and ultimately from Jesus himself, the seed of the gospel. It takes root in your life and it grows up and it produces fruit. Fruit in your life. It leads to salvation. It leads to communion with the saints. It leads to more gospel proclamation. It leads to you exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. It leads to you loving your enemies and loving your neighbors. It leads to you loving Jesus. It leads to you making less of yourself and making much of Him. We make much of Jesus because we know then that it's Him who has sown the gospel in our heart. It's the Holy Spirit that has tilled the land of our heart, making it able to receive the seed and to, to be fruitful. We know that it is His Grace and work working in with us so we can't be humble. We can only be grateful for Jesus Christ. And so we pray. We pray for our hearts that they would be the fertile soil. We pray for the hearts of our children 
that they would be fertile soil. We pray for the hearts of our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our families, that they would be fertile soil. And we sow the word trusting that whatever ground it meets, God is faithful and he's working. Let's pray.